Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Concerning some things, we cannot know definitively. But the really important things, a great many of them we can. The Iowa caucuses have come and gone. The Democrat caucuses here for 2020, they have come and gone, or have they? (laughs) Well, definitive results are not available. Why is that? Several days passed, you know, a few days passed anyway. Well, it's because the caucuses' results, they are riddled with, they are shot through with errors inconsistencies, and so forth. Amazingly enough, more than 100 precincts reported results that were inconsistent, internally inconsistent. They were missing data or data, if you prefer, or that were not possible. Results that were not possible under the rules governing the Iowa caucuses. Fascinating. (laughs) Returning results that were not consistent and or that were not even possible per the fascinating, complex rules regulations governing the Iowa caucuses. Vote tallies, in many cases, did not add up. In some cases, precincts were shown to have apportioned the wrong number of delegates to various candidates. And in at least a number of cases, the grand old, no, not the GOP, the grand old Iowa Democratic Party's results that they reported did not match those that were reported by the precincts. Isn't this fantastic? You know, (laughs) there was this new app that was introduced that was supposedly going to be a game changer here. Oh, it was a game changer, just not in the way it was intended to be. Isn't it fascinating? Going back to Bush v. Gore, going back to throwing out the paper ballots, you know, with the chads (laughs) and so forth, replacing that with state-of-the-art computerized systems. Oh, that would be a great leap forward. And it would also help to alleviate, to remove any possible voter fraud. Well, what did it really do? It has instead greatly exacerbated the amount of fraud. It has greatly facilitated voter fraud. As, of course, the motor voter registration 
notoriously has. But nonetheless, these things keep being pushed by those in power. I wonder why. (laughs) Because, of course, they only intend the best. But currently, as the last that I saw, Sanders and Boot, Buttigieg, but a gag, they were neck and neck within 0.1 percentage points. And that was with 97% of 1,765 precincts having reported. But it's fascinating that this plethora of errors, they indicate that many Iowa caucus leaders had great difficulty following the rules of the Democrat Party caucuses. Or great difficulty adopting the new and improved additional reporting requirements that were introduced since the last go-round in 2016. And fascinatingly enough, extraordinarily enough, the grand old Iowa Democratic Party, even after the long delays, they still remarkably failed to validate all of the results that they went ahead and they released, that they reported to the public. (laughs) They did not validate all of them before they released them, before they reported them. Remarkable. Impossible. (laughs) Well, even though there is no definitive winner, there certainly are some definitive losers, aren't there? No definitive winner. Yet, neck and neck between Sanders and Buttigieg and his hubby, Buttigieg, and his hubby, and Bernie, a.k.a. Sololinsky Sanders. It is exciting. But what about the losers, the obvious, clear losers? Well, of course... Joe Biden's near the top of that heap. Now, how can I say he's near the top of the heap? How can I say that? Why would he not be the slam dunk, absolute, out and out, preeminent loser of the Iowa caucuses? Why would that be? Well, because the people of the United States of America are the overwhelming loser but more on that later in the program but dear joe biden what a great american he is now this is his third presidential run he described what happened in iowa as being a gut punch a gut punch in Iowa. But that's the way that Joe talks. That is the 
the real Joe <laughs> as far as what I identify as being the real Joe. Maybe it's just his public persona, but he is just, at least he's really good at, at putting on the dog about this, being the blue collar. Yes, he is the ultimate Blue-collar labor man. Through and through. He is the union man. And he's a bare-knuckle brawler. Bare-knuckle brawler in the time-honored tradition of Frank Sinatra. Now, I mentioned uh, with <laughs> on Monday or on the previous program, which happened to be on Monday... Prior to the results, any results, the, the extremely erroneous results and all of that, that per the polling, which is, of course, infallibly correct at all times, that it was showing that the front runners were the two angry old white men, Biden and Sanders. As it turned out, It's angry old white man Sanders and the fresh face of the party, sodomite Pete Buttigieg and his ever-present hubby, husband. (laughs) Yes, yes. But, or what Petey likes to refer to as who will be the first gentleman. Now, there is a great perversion of the word gentleman. But on the other hand, it's been perverted in the past with gentlemen's clubs. So in keeping in that tradition, the first gentleman is what this nation could be saddled with if those forces have their way. But dear Joe, Poor Joe. Poor old Joe. He's so deserving. It's his turn, right? It's like with Hillary Rodham Clinton. It is his turn. It's his time, just like it was with John Kerry. Yes, he claims to have the greatest electability. Yes, and that's why he should be selected. Of course, if he is elected... He is going to saddle this nation with Barack Hussein Obama on the Supreme Court. Dear Barack Hussein Obama, who again lauded the sodomites like Petey and his hubby, we're so proud of you guys with regard to the supremely abominable Supreme Court decision legalizing the impossibility of sodomite marriage. But Joe Biden, poor Joe, even though it's his turn, it's his time, finally, uh, looks like he is stumbling, as always, in Iowa, amazingly enough. And... He is behind even Elizabeth Warren, and he is barely ahead of Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. So, 
Pretty poor showing by Joe. Well, there's all kinds of scuttlebutt, all kinds of talk about how is it that he did so atrociously in Iowa? How is that possible? <laughs> you know? Here he is, the front-running former Veep, former VP for Barack Hussein Obama. And with this tremendous edge over the other candidates of this great electability and really being able to go head-to-head with Trump and take him down. How is it possible for him to do so badly? Well, it's amazing. But anyway, he did get good news that the his buddies, his pals, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, a union of 775,000 members, has endorsed his campaign. So now he has more labor support going into New Hampshire, into the New Hampshire primary vote. And if he can stay the course, he should be in good shape in South Carolina, where 60% of the primary electorate of the Democrat Party primary electorate is black, is African-American, and he is a strong favorite with them, supposedly, according to Poland. And historically, he has been. But amazingly, he spent more time in Iowa here in the winter than any other candidate. Joe Biden, it's not that he was absent, you know, like uh, pulling a John Kerry or something. It's not that he wasn't there. He was there. He was there more than any other of the candidates. And yet, (laughs) this happens. So, meanwhile, dear old Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Buttigag, he will fundamentally change the nation's political system. And that (laughs) perhaps had something to do with the amount of support that he got. You have to understand when it comes to caucuses, when it comes to primaries, generally speaking, the general rule of thumb is that those that participate are those that are the most energized voters. Those are not merely prospective voters or likely voters. They are absolute definite voters. They can be counted on to vote. They don't need to be brought to the polls. They don't need to be induced to come to the polls, per se, even though they do need to be energized by a candidate that, you know, (laughs) causes them to think there's a reason for them voting, but that's about it. They don't need to be given drinks or brought to the polls uh, in various different manners of conveyance. So, typically, this favors certain candidates over others. And this certainly has favored, historically, 
activists, those more on the fringes of the party. Activists like Bernie Sanders, a.k.a. Sololinsky's shadow, <laughs> but and Petey. But again, Biden just extraordinarily bad showing. So, he's having a problem right now maintaining support with his donor base, his heavy hitter donor base. He has low cash reserves. (laughs) And incredibly, unbelievably, impossibly, there is the specter of billionaire, former mayor, Republican, left-wing Republican mayor, Michael Bloomberg of New York. There's the specter of Michael in New Hampshire. Wouldn't that be remarkable? Wouldn't it be incredible if, I mean, just throwing this out there, what if the two top vote-getters in New Hampshire were Bernie Sanders, who's a socialist independent from Vermont, and Michael Bloomberg, who's a left-wing former Republican who, you know, skipped over to the Democrat Party so that he can run for president. Wouldn't that be hilarious? I mean, wouldn't that be phenomenal? Oh, the Democrats, my word. But, and then, of course, there is Buttigieg. Buttigieg. So, much excitement. Fascinatingly enough, with Joe Biden, he's got to be having nightmares right now. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. He has run for president three times. And both times that he ran for president previously, his campaigns died in Iowa. Now, this campaign is not going to die in Iowa. He's going on. He's soldiering on bravely, admirably, inspirationally. But... uh, He has stumbled, shall we say. Yes. But, so, it's Sanders and Buttigieg, and then Elizabeth, American Indian Warren, and then Joe, this is my time, Biden, Jr., ahead of Amy Klobuchar, who was only polling in the single digits the week before, (laughs) but who finished, apparently, is finishing fairly close to Joe. So, (laughs) rather remarkable. But uh, we will see what comes of that. Hmm? Those who voted in the caucuses... Per entrance polls, not exit polls, but entrance polls, they stated 61% to 37% that electability mattered more to them than ideology. So how is it possible 
that the candidate who was supposedly the strongest on electability took such a beating. How is that possible? (laughs) Just incredible. I mean, he's just, he's the most well-known of all the candidates, but fascinating. So what else took place in the caucuses in Iowa? Iowa Hawkeye caucuses. What took place there? Well, this is the heart of winter, but it always is. (laughs) For the Iowa caucuses, it's always the heart of winter. And there was no extreme storm pattern that I'm aware of. I haven't read anything about it. I haven't seen anything about it. And yet, the numbers of voters, that is, caucus goers, was significantly lower than was expected. It was a much smaller turnout than was expected. And it was commented on that when the president made his little trip to Iowa there on the the eve of being acquitted and had a rally that he had more people at his rally than were attending any of the Democrat presidential candidates' rallies. But fascinatingly enough, low turnout, which it seems did not favor Joe Biden, (laughs) these low numbers. As far as when there is going to be a definitive vote count ruling there from Iowa, I don't know. (laughs) I don't care. But it should be fascinating. So back to Pete Buttigieg. He became the first proudly sodomite candidate in American history to garner presidential primary delegates towards securing a major party nomination. The first. At his caucus watch party in Des Moines, he called his gag husband. The future first gentleman of the United States. And they hugged on stage. How is it possible that the American people even in the midst of the corn belt of the United States of America, don't get this. That these forces behind the sodomite agenda, behind the induced abortion agenda, behind the legalization of prostitution agenda, the legalization of the most horrible vile, destructive 
pornography agenda and all of these other things, how is it that they don't get where these things are headed, where they're going, what is going to be the result? They are not merely insisting on legalization and acceptance and to be tolerated. They all insist on dominating, on taking over, on demanding to be not merely acknowledged but respected and honored and to receive the seal of approval of the nation and to have all of the leaders of the nation bow and scrape and have all of the children and their parents of this nation forced to honor their not mere corruption, but their depravity and their wickedness. How is it possible for people not to get that? How is there such a complete, utter, total dearth of what used to be called good old-fashioned common sense among so very wide a swath of Americans. How's that possible? Well, (laughs) it's just the way it is. It really is the way it is. But speaking of dear old Joe, let's look at Petey from the perspective of Joe Biden. Quote, Pete, this is from Joe Biden. Quote, Pete, just say it out loud. I have great respect for Mayor Pete. Dot, dot, dot. But I do believe it's a risk, a risk to be just straight up with you for this party to nominate somebody who's never held an office higher than mayor of a town of 100,000 people in Indiana. I do believe it's a risk. And that was two-term mayor, that's all. But, oh, and there was an end quote after, I do believe it's a risk. Well, Joe, that's so good of you to share <laughs> that with us, that you have great respect for these guys. We're so proud of you guys, just like Barack, your boss. You see, even if Joe Biden privately, I said if, if he privately abhors this depravity, he cannot say it openly, and I don't, I don't know that he does, but he cannot voice that. He cannot whisper that. He cannot permit that to ever be heard because that would be devastating among so, so much of potential Democrat voters and independent voters, right? Oh, I have great respect for him. But what's the risk? The risk is not that Pete Buttigieg becomes president with his 
sodomite partner in crime, the risk is that Petey doesn't have enough political experience. That's the risk. Oh, that is such a risk. Well, (laughs) there is something to be said for experience, but experience doing horrible things (laughs) in office is not necessarily stellar qualification for higher office. So I don't know that lack of experience is necessarily particularly important. Before I go any further, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that's on me, that's due to me, that's my fault. So returning to the matter at hand, youth and inexperience, yes, those certainly are not ideal qualities, but corruption and depravity and wickedness is far worse. (laughs) But... I'm sure you saw this about this one Iowa caucus goer who signed a preference card there for Petey before she realized that he was a sodomite. And then she wanted to retract that, rescind that. This woman is supposedly a Christian. What is her excuse? I mean, what an ignoramus not to know this about Now, it's not that Pete necessarily advertises that everywhere and to all audiences. But there is absolutely no excuse for an energized voter to be selecting him without knowing this about him. Especially a Christian. (laughs) I would go further, I'd say, what business does she have voting Democrat? But... (laughs) No, not saying she should vote Republican, but she should not be voting Democrat because the Democrat Party is solidly behind all of these evil agendas and many more. These that I have talked about time and again. But perhaps you saw that (laughs) there was a letter a signed letter signed by 142 businesses and collectively known as Tennessee Businesses Against Discrimination that were delivered here in Tennessee. And what was this letter about? Well, it was announcing concerted, coordinated 
opposition, activist opposition to Tennessee's recent laws which are not favorable to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer constituents, which I will just refer to as queer. They've got all of these other terms, but I'll call them queer in this sentence, in this context, with regard to this letter. But these are all sodomites, all depraved individuals who are hell-bent on making this nation bow and scrape to their agenda. But what about these corporations? I've mentioned this before. (laughs) These corrupt, depraved corporations that have been promoting such evil. But top-name corporations with this. Amazon, shocker there. Jeff Bezos has given charitably to the sodomite cause previously, millions. Nike, which is as leftist a corporation as you can get. Dell Computers. Lyft, you know, like Uber, Lyft. Marriott. Does Marriott ring a bell with you? (laughs) Marriott, which has such exceedingly intimately close ties with Mitt Romney. Republican senator, junior senator from Utah now, former presidential candidate, 2012. Former governor of Massachusetts, the the Uber CEO of the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, so on and so forth. Mormon Marriott Corp. with intimately close ties to Mormon Mitt Romney, who has been on their international board of directors forever and a day, but had to step down from that in order to take his seat as U.S. senator. And yet Marriott signed this. Impossibly. And American Airlines, oh, all American Airlines. (laughs) Yes. And uh, more than 100 small businesses in Tennessee. But it stated, this letter stated, that any additional legislation along the lines of HB House Bill 836, which allows taxpayer-funded foster care and adoption agencies to discriminate against sodomites or queer people, any further legislation would harm Tennesseans and create unnecessary hurdles to economic competitiveness. Quote, policies that signal that the state is not welcoming to everyone put our collective economic success at risk. 
It is both a business imperative and core to our corporate values that our customers, our employees, and their families, and our potential employees feel fully included in the prosperity of our state, end quote. Our state? (laughs) This is from major corporations. Tennessee isn't their state. They don't have their corporate headquarters there. They're claiming it as theirs, their turf, their state. But what is this letter really? What is it really? As far as I'm concerned, it's unvarnished extortion. At the very least, coercion. But as far as I'm concerned, it's extortion. You want us to put money into development in your state? You will do our bidding. You will obey us or else. If that isn't extortion, what is? That's beyond coercion, mere coercion. It's not just a matter of, you know, the carrot. This is the stick here. But really outstanding. (laughs) Fortunately, Tennessee, its governor, Bill Lee, is one of the better ones. And he said the following. This was after there was an initial letter that was introduced by 13 large companies. Nike, Hilton, Lyft, and Marriott. Romney Marriott. Romney was named after the founder of Marriott because... His father and that man were so close. (laughs) First name Willard after him. But Willard Mitt Romney. But Governor Bill Lee said, quote, I think equality is important and protection of rights is important and the rights of religious liberty are important. And that bill was centered around protection of religious liberty and that's why I signed it, end quote. As far as discrimination, you know, that dirty word, taboo, discrimination against sodomites, what is the true meaning of discrimination or to discriminate? It is to choose between, to choose good instead of evil, to choose right instead of wrong, so forth. To fail to discriminate, in point of fact, to fail to discriminate, to be indiscriminate or promiscuous is a similar word. To be indiscriminate is not only to be incredibly, stupendously, stupidly foolish, grossly irresponsible, but in fact, to commit, (laughs) to commit wrong. If you are not discriminating against evil, 
You are not standing against evil. You're not opposing evil. But then you're part of the problem, just like dear Joe Biden, the absolute best, the absolute highest praise I can give Joe Biden is that he's only part of the problem passively. But he's not. He's not. Perhaps you saw this about Barnes & Noble. You know, one of the few surviving major booksellers that wasn't run into the ground by Amazon. But Barnes & Noble, which is very leftist, extremely leftist, terribly leftist, which, and that's putting it gently, which has marketed and sold art-like books of photographs of nude children, which it has passed off as being artistic instead of child pornography. But, and that goes way back. And putting them in all of their stores, and these were promoted via the libraries and what have you. Pedophilia. But that's just one of myriad wrongs by Barnes & Noble. But the latest little chapter here is that for Black History Month, in observance of Black History Month, that they would release classic books, such as The Wizard of Oz and Frankenstein. Now, those aren't books that I would consider classics, per se. I don't think of them being referred to as classics, but with new covers featuring black characters, the characters you could say in blackface, the characters of the novels as being black. It was known as the diverse editions. And this was to be rolled out at the Fifth Avenue New York City store. But the company backpedaled on it because there was considerable outcry about it. And interestingly enough, including from various people of color that did did not take it kindly. So, one of the criticisms was, why didn't they just choose to promote the works of various black authors? Why not do that? Why pull this stunt instead? Well, anyway, again, they pulled back from it. But, you know, this week, you would think at least on paper, at least as of last week, would have been thought to have been a rather precarious week for the president. But in fact, he seems to have sailed through it, <laughs> you know, with flying colors. Some are saying it is his best week ever, which I think may perhaps be excessive, but and that it is giving him momentum for re-election. Well, momentum, I would say this about it, is that momentum is only 
as important and significant and valid and what have you as the day is long. Momentum can stop in a moment, just as we see with Joe Biden here. Momentum can be interrupted very quickly. But he did have a good week thus far, and chances are it will continue that way. So, (laughs) he received acquittal. In the U.S. Senate, the only Republican voting against him on the abuse of power charge being Mitt Marriott Romney. But Mitt only voted against him concerning abuse of power, not obstruction of Congress's investigation. And I'm sure you've seen the votes were 52 to acquit, 48 to convict on abuse of power, 53 to acquit, 47 to convict on obstruction of Congress's investigation. But this, (laughs) Mitch McConnell referred to this whole impeachment process as a circus. And indeed, it was rather a three-ring circus, you know, apart from, again, the corruption of the president. (laughs) That, as far as I view him, he's a corrupt man, always has been, always will be. But apart from that, this was a completely, utterly, totally, politically motivated effort. Focused on bringing him down and should it fail to bring him down at least to wound him politically so as to deny him re-election. It still may have that effect. But as of right now, he's got the wind to his sails and he is he is bulldozing along. I've seen him refer, referred to as a bulldozer. Well, uh, he's bully, all right. But Lindsey Graham said that this was a sham that was designed to destroy his presidency. So what's going to come of this? Now that the vote is in, now that he has been acquitted of both counts, well, many things (laughs) The Democrats in the House of Representatives under the leadership of Nancy Pelosi, they will continue. They're not going to stop. No. Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, et al., they will continue to investigate because that is the most important thing for them to do. (laughs) Because... You know, it's like damn the torpedoes in full speed ahead. That That is <laughs> Donald Trump's <laughs> modus operandi. But with them, it's kind of the same thing about forget about other things. Let's focus on this. And they will continue to. But 
various other peripheral (laughs) matters are taking place. Other investigations outside of Congress. What else? How about carefully orchestrated, drummed up protests against Trump and against Republicans? Well, more than 200 reject the cover-up protests are planned around the nation as of yesterday. But rest assured, those are going to continue right up to, no doubt, right up to the election. I have no doubt. 270 rallies across the country. Headed up by... Stand Up America, a leftist activist special interest group. But something to be looked forward to. No doubt, here is where we stand now. Again, Donald Trump, he is the third president now to be impeached by the House. But he is the first of those three, impeached by the House, not convicted by the Senate, not removed from office. But he is the first of them to run for re-election following that. The first one. So this is new ground. This is new territory. But... He has been referred to as being the most resilient politician in modern American history. The most resilient. Well, I I don't see it that way. I don't see him as being more resilient than Bubba, Bill Clinton. It's funny, he was referred to as being like an unsinkable ship, which makes me think of the Titanic or the Lusitania, but unsinkable. But is he? (laughs) Uh, I think that is very, very (laughs) flawed reasoning. But the president today at the so-called and I do mean so-called, National Prayer Breakfast. He went on the offensive. Surprise, surprise. And he ripped, he savaged his adversaries. And then he joked around about some other things. But what do you expect? And then he crowed about his magnificent successes as president. What do you expect at a national prayer breakfast, right? National prayer breakfast. Well, that is really outstanding. It's who he is. It's what he is. Why do they still have this so-called prayer breakfast? What does prayer have to do with it? Nothing but The other day, after the acquittal, the president met 
Juan Guaido, the opposition leader in Venezuela, Venezuela. And this was the first time that he had met with him after having recognized him as being the legitimate president of the communist-controlled country, South America. But there are other things going on in the world besides this. Terrible things. In Africa. In Colin Kaepernick's Africa, where murderous black Islamists are continuing to slaughter Christians. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Nigeria. But I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.